Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. So, H, uh, what's today's movie? That's a movie? Uh, you really shouldn't be brushing your teeth during your show. <sighs> I give up. Scott, you got this? He's speaking drac. And, and you can translate that? Not at all. I, I still got nothing. Nope. Nothing. Nada. The movie's enemy mine. I was just speaking direct to add some mood, but thanks for killing it. Uh, that doesn't make sense. You learned a fictitious language just for this. Yeah, so? That brings up an interesting question. Why haven't what? you learned German yet? Uh, Scott, hit the title. Sci-Fi Melody, Symptom 266, Enemy Mine. Oh my god, Ruck, please isolate whatever noise that was before Mark gargled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome back, sickies, to our next episode of Nostalgia November and... You know, we're really happy that a lot of the Discord server fans have been giving these great ideas because uh, Enemy Mine is a film that I have wanted to do for, again, a long time, but it never really seemed to fit cleanly into anything. However, it has given me a uh, design topic for the months to come, so stay tuned. I have, Nevertheless, to, say, Enemy I Mine. have to say, I'm really happy that we're getting uh, requests from the fans on Discord, because when Ragemaster said, we're going to do a month of fan requests, I said, so we're off for the next month? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. So, uh, but Enemy Wine is a film from 1981 starring Louis Gossett Jr. and uh, Dennis Quaid. And if at certain points of the film, you look at it and say, wow, this looks like a 2001 knockoff 1985 yes you crossed the date of this one with the movie for next week i did yep yeah. oh whoops all right well so oh shoot okay yeah i did Boy, 1985 Liz. well nonetheless it does it look like the things from 2001 yes yes it does moving on <laughs> so this film uh as I said, it stars Louis Gossett Jr. and as the enemy, or the enemy, I guess I should qualify that somehow, as uh, the Drek is the name of the enemy alien, and uh, Dennis Quaid as the human. Great. So anyway, in the 21st century, there is an interstellar war between humans, also known as the Bilateral Terran Alliance, or BTA, and the Drax, a reptilian humanoid, which, Scott, be level with me here. They look like the bearables from Star Wars, don't they? They certainly do. Yeah, now, I'm not 
suggesting a ripoff here. I'm just saying that's what they look like. So if you want to get a good idea from this, well, the easiest way is to Google enemy mine. If you choose not to. If you choose not to, that's a good way to put it. Then uh, Google bearable from Star Wars. They're, they're kind of the same. Anyway, so uh, what happened is there's a uh, this dog fighter named Dave, E. Davidge, who is a pilot that gets into a fight at the very beginning, and he chases a pilot who winds up being Louis Gossett Jr.'s character, Jeriba Shigan, and they, whom he dubs Jerry later on, but they both crash land on a volcanic planet, and after an initial encounter where David, who hates the Drax, tries to kill him, wind up needing each other to survive. And through the course of time, uh, David discovers that the planet has been used by a group of human scavengers that use Drax as um, slaves. And he's befriended out of necessity. He's just befriended Jerry, which is Jerry, he dubs him. And they, he learns a lot about their culture, such as how important lineage is. And he also even learns the Drac language, which is sounds a lot like what I was doing at the beginning of the show. And after a few chance encounters, uh, they learn, David learns that um, Jerry is pregnant and that they are, um, oh, what's the word, Scott? Help me out here. Not asexual, but... Hermaphrodites? No. No. Um, shoot. That's the wrong Well, basically, they become pregnant without... They, they, they become pregnant. Reprodu- they reproduce without sex. Exactly. There's a term for that, but... Uh, I forgot it, too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, he... Yes, no, there's a something... Something... It doesn't matter. So, in the process of after a monster attack, uh, Jerry gives birth, and David promises to not only raise the boy, but also to take him back to the homeworld to recite his lineage so that he could be adopted into Drax society. And Zamis is the name of the boy. So, David be comes named known as uncle to him and eventually the scavengers show back up david goes to encounter them is beaten down and winds up getting rescued by a bta patrol ship they're about to jettison him off into space when they realize he's alive and wouldn't you know it's speaking drac and has a drac necklace and they reinstate him and he Takes steals a ship, a BTA starfighter ship, flies back to the planet, and liberates the slaves in a slave uprising and finds Zamis. The film ends with him, David, and Zamis being back on the Drac homeworld of Jeriba, reciting the what was it called? Uh, his um, recites the Jeriba. Excuse me, the Jeriba, and David's lineage is added to his. It's your classic tale of enemies to friends and learning how how to not be racist. Really, at the end of the day, that's what it is. So, with that in mind, a couple fun facts, and then we're just going to jump into this. So, for one, the Drek language came about because uh, Louis Gossett Jr. said in a television interview that he had talked while gargling saliva as a kid. 
as one of those kid things. He told the director who thought it was a great idea and said, all right, the drag voice is you gargling, and then you're going to say Russian words backwards. And that's how that came about. That is an inventive way to come up with a fictional language. Isn't it, though? It, it, it's, it's not as complicated and crazy as actually building a language full of syntax and all this, which mm-hmm. is nice. Also, very long, very complicated, and can really not sometimes not work. You mean like James Doohan, aka Scotty, did for Klingon? Yes, exactly. Okay. What I was kind uh, of focused. Uh, okay, uh, I'm not just, following Scott. Uh, what Thomas said: James Doohan created the Klingon language and actually built a grammar and a vocabulary oh. and a syntax. Oh, that was James Doohan who did that. Yes. Hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. Yes, but most people, had to do something after yeah. not being Scotty. So again, a lot of people could actually learn it, but most people just realized it as it sounds alien. Yeah. <laughs> Although there are camps of people that learn it, so like comic book guy from The Simpsons. Um, originally, Enemy Mine was supposed to be like my I enemy. Should say, but they I changed should say, it. I'm sorry. He created a handful of words for the first Star Trek movie. They were later used by someone named Mark Orcrand to develop the full language. Ah, there we go. Uh, but it was supposed to be my enemy, but they changed it to enemy mine, thinking that no one would get the my enemy thing. That's kind of dumb, but there you go. Uh, yeah, when I hear enemy cross- mine, I think of running through the enemy's minefield. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking, but I guess it doesn't matter. This movie has no minefield. I was disappointed. Yeah, I was promised minefields, but there is a mine. <laughs> um, so the makeup that Louis Gossett Jr. wore took four hours to get into the makeup of Jeriba. That was, I mean, just sitting there for four hours must suck. But hey, he was paid a lot, I guess. Uh, Dennis Quaid found one of the most difficult scenes to shoot is where Jerry calls Mickey Mouse a big dope because <laughs> he kept laughing. You could so what they wound that. up happening? Yeah. So what wound up happening was <laughs> his reaction was kept in order to make it clear the scene intended to be comedic, comedic, and the bantering while hostile is meant to be friendly. But he, that was the hardest scene for him to not just burst out laughing. It is my favorite scene um, in the movie. It, it's a pick. Uh, I'm giving um, away a pick. It is my favorite scene in the movie. Mickey Mouse is a dope and he was obviously trying to be so insulting to him but um so let's see there's not to the rubber dra- rubber like drac ration balls were actually just green jello um to make a corridor look longer than it actually was the crew created illusion by putting a mirror at a 45 degree angle at the end of it so great idea guys because it worked on me um, well, also, I'm pretty. The uh, first fight was CGI. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's some of that was CGI, and it still holds up. It it does. It is pretty good. I'm not um, going to sit here and tell you it's the best, but it doesn't have to be. It, it for what it was, it's fine. Um, 
The song Jerry sings in the film is the Midnight Special, a traditional prison, a traditional prison work song that was popularized by Creedence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> so, I just thought that was kind of funny, and uh, I think that's pretty good. The rest of the rest of the fun facts are just oh, it was filmed in the outside scenes were filmed in the Canary Islands instead of Iceland, like they planned. It was filmed in Bavaria, yada yada yada. So. Let's get to rips and picks. And Scott set it off. His favorite thing, Mickey Mouse getting called a big dope. <laughs> so, I, you know what? One of my earliest memories of this film is it was on HBO and we had HBO as kids. And the scene where the monster first shows up, it sticks that like tail out of the ground and it's got the little appendages and it goes on the rock. and. I remember my sister looked at me and said, close your eyes. And this was back in the day when kids, like if you were watching an R-rated movie with the kids in the room, you made them close their eyes so they could only hear it. Yep. That's how I saw the movie Friday night the first time. And uh, I never saw the scene. I saw the aftermath of Dennis Quaid running out of the, the hut. Because my sister denied me. And then I saw this film later on in life and went, that's what was too terrifying for me. (laughs) I mean, wow, my imagination did a way better job than that. Yeah. I was terrible at that. When my brother was, I want to say, eight years old, I let him watch South Park Mm -hmm. Bigger and Longer Uncut with me. Completely through. Oh, yeah. Bleep your bleeping bleep, bleep bleep bleeper. <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Times have definitely changed, so yikes. But that would be so. Um, another one is another uh, kind of a pick would be the CGI was pretty good for the time being. Yeah, I would say it was for the time being, and the makeup effects were really well done. Most of this for movie the holds up very, very well. Uh, Forty years later, almost. Mm-hmm. And it's got it surprisingly well. I will tell you what does not hold up very well. What's that? Don't they call her the white balloon? Hey, knock it off! Yes, lost twenty pounds. <laughs> I'm just, that was bad for 1985. That was not okay. Well, and you know what's funny about that, too, is the way at the end, the way they just say it, like, please don't call her that. It'll, it hurts her feelings. It's like, wow, that's all you got? <laughs> wow, we really <laughs> took that lightly back then, didn't we? I'm just watching this like, what in the actual crap? But yeah, then again, I we, watched Married with Children for nine seasons and laughed at everything, and that's even well, worse. So. Hey, times change, and so do tastes, I suppose. Yet, I'm willing to bet that you still laugh at Married with Children, so. I sure do. <laughs> um, I like the sets. That's a pick. And the, and the story itself is pretty simple. I, I like that it has no errors. It, it, you know, I was listening to, um, oh, all of a sudden, 
I forgot his name because every time it matters, I think of it. Um, Jim Shooter. Jim uh. Shooter was the senior editor of Marvel in the eighties, and which was probably I wouldn't say the gold. There wasn't uh, a single golden age for Marvel, but it was one of their golden ages. And one of the things he said was all pro a good storytelling could be based off of Little Miss Muffet. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet or eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and scared Little Miss Muffet away. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet eating her curds and whey. You know who she is. You know what she's about. She wants to eat her curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her, which the spider is now the antagonist. They're just trying to do something to her adversely and create a conflict scared her away she failed in her conflict with the spider and here you have all those things and then you should also answer characterizations what are the motivations of these people and we see it jareel's just trying to survive and he's in a species that really thinks their humanity is not explorers um quaid is whether by probably fed propaganda or otherwise is uh he hates the drax and his conflict is he wants to see them obliterated but part of his develop he encounters this the conflict is trying to survive at first it was kill but then it was survive and uh the change over time was the realization that you know these these people are not these drags are not the horrible evil enemy i've been taught and he also comes to find out that you know humanity can be just as bad when he sees the scavengers it's a very straightforward no frills no no lecturing no um what's the word i like to think pontificating um, it, pontificating for sure but uh profundity i don't know if that's a real world word but i like it anyway it's not trying to be super profound it's just trying to say something matter of fact. And it's very simplistic, straightforward, and can be as complex as you want it to be. And it follows the Little Miss Muffet guidelines. Rage, it uh, is a word. It means deep insight, great depth of knowledge or thought. Yeah. And it's those kind of things that ruin a story. And this has none of it. Interesting. And I that's like a profundity. That's a, that's a major <laughs> pick on my mind that it's no airs, no uh, profundity, no sanctimony. It's just a nice, straightforward, simplistic, or as complex as you want. And anybody could get it. That's a great, that is, this is essentially a two-man play for the majority of them. Yes. And, and it, right. it works very well in the strength of the two actors here. I do have two rips. Oh, no doubt. The first thing that Jerry does when his ship crashes and it starts raining as far as I can tell, is to perform interpretive dance in the rain. Which just struck me very, very weird. Because, like, as, as Davidge is, is sneaking up on him, he's not just dancing in the rain. It could only, to me, be described as interpretive dance in the rain. I'm not sure what he's doing there, but it just struck me as an odd time to break out into interpretive dance. And you can't even call it, like, a religious rite or something. No, because you find out later that's not what it was. Um... Sun Tzu would not be very happy with Davidge. 
Because <laughs> you don't, obviously you don't know your enemy at all as a military man. If you think that you can burn him to death by lighting the lake that he's on fire in. Uh, because apparently, uh, Drax have, Drac have an immunity to fire. Because he just comes right up out of that flaming, boiling lake like it's a minor inconvenience. Yeah, well, it's, it's annoying, but it doesn't. It's not baking him like a lobster. The the TBA is really not training its pilots what they need to do to beat the enemy if they encounter them out of their fighters. Well, the question is, how much do they know? How much do they know? And obviously, how much of the time do they expect? He's a fighter pilot, not a ground soldier. We got to know something about them. I mean, we have a massive black market slaver ring going on in this movie at some point. Yeah, but they're the scavengers. They're the outlaws. Yeah, that doesn't mean, though, that there's not knowledge being passed back to the military about who the enemy is and what their vulnerabilities are. Yeah, that's a point. That's That's actually very true because you would expect that because if they're slavers and want more slaves, they would like humanities to be winning the war, so... Yeah, it's, not like the, it's not like the military won't get in bed with nefarious parts of society if it thinks I was about to say it's war. not like <laughs> somebody in the BTA would would take a bite of that bribe. Well, not just somebody that, but would. There's also military intelligence that would uh, more than likely right. love to be working with slavers who have this because they would be giving them free test subjects. Right. Plus, there's got to be captives taken. There has to be ground conflict somewhere that the BTA is in. So even if the fighter pilot division isn't, you know, the, there's got to be a ground division somewhere that knows how to fight and kill the enemy. Right. Unless all of humanity has forgotten the works of Sun Tzu. Also... Uh, I, I don't care how far we've gotten into the future. Ground combat is still necessary, and you still need infantry. You still have to take ground. You can't, you can't take a territory until you put people in it to hold it. You can blow it up all you want, but it's not yours until you got people in there holding it. So I agree with you. So... Um, any other rips or picks? You know, I I kind of laid my hand out. I like the effects. I like the makeup, especially. I always like good movie makeup. Um, the, the, the acting text, was good. The text on Jerry's holy book that he wears around his neck seems rather large for the amount of pages there for that to be the complete teachings of their great teacher. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is... <laughs> Stuff. <laughs> well, how about says so, Scott? Okay. Well, if we're doing that, there's also a butter one. All right. Th- the species reproduces asexually. Correct. That introduces much more problems than it really solves. Okay. For one, overpopulation. No. Lack of diversity. Uh, I was about to say a society of Habsburgs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this yeah. species should all be very similar, have the same genetic flaws, and also if they're fighting humanity, I don't know why they haven't been defeated yet because uh, biological Find warfare the exists. Of, and find all the you weakness have, of just a couple and you found them all. <laughs> 
Yes. Wow. They're all susceptible to this smallpox we have. Ooh. Okay. Drop a smallpox uh, bomb on them. That's true. When your family tree does not fork, you're either a redneck or a drag. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's a Jeff Foxworthy joke. I'm okay with saying that. I... <laughs> Mark, do we have questions that we're going to ask, like big picture questions about this film? Not really, no, not really, because I thought it was just too straightforward about, you know, don't be racist and yeah, so, all right, hate your enemy. Again. This is going to be my rip. The name of this movie is Enemy Mine, and this this will so it's not a deep scavenge. meaning, but um, I hate what this movie says about humanity. I hate what this movie says about us in the future. I hate what this movie says about us in our current time. That and here is, comes the Star Trek. Here comes the Trekkie. That this is a... This is supposed to be a feel-good story. That at the end, you walk away showing that humanity can be good. Because they can learn to see the value in someone so different that they're literally an alien species. And he can learn to love Zamus. And he can adapt to that culture. Um, and it's supposed to tell everyone in the eighties that if we can, that if we have the ability to do that with a truly alien species, we should have the ability to do that on earth with every other branch of humanity of which we're all pretty much the same when it all comes down to it. Uh, you know, you got the John F. Kennedy quote for in the final analysis, uh, we all breathe the same air and we all cherish our children's future. Um, and we're about the same. But what this movie tells us is that hate can only be overcome when placed on a hostile planet in a life and death situation with the enemy that you've been taught to hate from the beginning, where your racism or speciesism in this case takes charge at the beginning to where all you can think about is killing him. You try to boil him alive in a lake and you're still insulting him to the point where you say, uh, you know, I learned a few words of his stupid language when he learns all of ours. We can only overcome our innate fear of what is not us when we're forced to look that directly in the eye and build a friendship and a relationship and when we raise a child of another species from birth only what we become acquainted with only what we become familiar with it also says only what we have a personal vested interest in caring about can we see as human and deserving the same respect as us. See, the message of this movie isn't saying that. It's trying to tell you that we have the capability when we have to look beyond the propaganda that we're fed to use our own rational brain to realize that these differences aren't real. But what the movie is really telling you is that absence of, absent of forcing your hand, humans are ignorant, stupid, racists and i hate the fact that this movie is saying that because it really is i hate the fact that this movie actually isn't saying that and is trying to say something else because what it is saying is that our nature is to hate what is different than us until it becomes familiar to us we can't value what is different than us until it is familiar to us that's a but isn't that true of but isn't that true of of many or at least some it is, and I hate the fact that it is. 
I should uh, be able to value. We should all be able to see the value in a culture or a way of life that is different than ours just because it's not ours. It shouldn't have to become familiar to us before we see the value in it. We shouldn't have to be forced to get to know our enemy before we realize that our enemy is human. Well, uh, we shouldn't have to. Well, 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 okay, in this case, that, that's the stand-in, though. The point that this movie's trying to tell you is your enemy is not the big evil that they're made out to be. Just like you, they care about their children, they care about the future, and they're just trying to get on in life, and they have their own motives, and it's not evil, okay? Well, that's what this, well, The Drax are a stand-in for anything that is different than us in the human race, okay? Yes. And, and for and I'm fear of just, the other. So the message I'm that not we're... Just yeah, being- but the only I, reason saying, that Davidge comes to to build an affinity and a love for the Drac and for Zamus is because he is forced to become familiar with it, to raise Zamus from a baby. He can't come to that on his own because he's not able to. What does that say about humanity? What does that say about us? It's a well, crap also, message. There's also another message here. There, there's also another commentary which I think might be a little more accurate. Okay. These two are enemies. Yeah. Quite often, you will find veterans from World War II who are now good friends, who are in the same battle, who are shooting at one another. They have been able to overcome the difference. They tried to kill one another now know one another talk about that battle and are now friends but that requires time and understanding but again you i think this could almost be a aspect of or it's talking about combatants and you, th- this is my enemy i must kill the enemy oh, well my enemy is very similar to me i mean you have that quite often that once you actually come face to face with your enemy, many times the realization that your enemy is not that different from you. Yeah, but that's my argument. That's my point. That's what I say is the crap what it's saying. This is a real commentary on how crappy we are as a species. You shouldn't have to come face to face with your enemy to realize that your enemy is also just like you and they're no different from you. You shouldn't be, you, you build up, because you're fighting someone in war, doesn't mean that they are this big demon that they're made out to be. They're a soldier following orders that they've been given just trying to survive the war. No one should be surprised to find out that the enemy soldier is just as human as you, has a child, has dreams for that child, has ambitions, has a wife. No one should be surprised to find that out, has parents that love him. But for some reason, we always present this as a fact that as human beings, We need to meet the enemy, get to know the enemy, develop a familiarity with the enemy to be able to make the intuitive leap that, holy bleep, this guy, when you boil it all down, is just like me. Why do we need... What does that say about us? And What does it say that we tell this story over and over again so many times in so many different ways and we present it as something that shows the capacity of the human race for enlightenment? I don't think it says that you're enlightened if you have to get to know your enemy to realize that your enemy is just as human as you and deserving of life as you. Because it's a defense mechanism, Scott. 
It is the mind defending itself. Yeah, but that's what holds us back. The fact that we look at that person over the hill as something different than us, as something less important than us, as something of a less intrinsic value than us, it's something innate, hardwired into the species. Yes, and the survival. Fact we, the fact that we tell this story, this enemy mine, as a, as a story of the capacity for human enlightenment, says everything we need to know about the human race. No, it, it shows that we can overcome our nature. But only when we're forced to. Only when we have to see firsthand and live with the enemy. Only then can we abstract to the concept that the enemy probably isn't different than us. If we could during, abstract during that concept, war, yes, during war, absolutely, you should still be able to abstract to that con- concept during war. You should be able to look and say, "Yes, uh, if you're an American soldier in World War II, you should be able to say it is my duty to go fight and kill the Germans." But I realize that these people that I'm fighting and killing are just as human as me, with the, as me, with the same values as me. And at the end of the day, just doing the same thing I am, but I will do my duty. You shouldn't see them. You shouldn't have to get to know your German enemy, to realize that he is just as human as you. If you have to do that, that's a problem. It's an innate problem in the mindset of the species. Well, there's a difference between, again, when we're talking, and I understand this is movies trying to say this, but I think, again, the problem being with using aliens as humans. When you're fighting other humans, you know they're humans. Yes, I'm not saying when World War II Allied soldiers did not know they were killing other humans. They knew it. They knew they had families. They knew this. It's why they shot high most of the time. But also, but, we also demonized the Japanese in World War II, so their soldiers didn't have moral qualms about going over there and doing that. Uh, some of... We didn't have to demonize them too much in some aspects, but... That, but my point being, you do that for a defense mechanism. Yes, but if we didn't have this defense mechanism, if we all had the open mind to realize that the people over the hill just want to have enough food and energy and resources for their society, and if we find a way to make that happen, we don't have to kill each other for the resource pool, we won't get to this point. If we can see the people over the hill that we don't know is of the same intrinsic value as us, I'll use this. In America, all the time we see not one more dollar of foreign aid before every American child who's homeless is, or, and, and hungry is not homeless and hungry. Why is there more value to, to the child in Des Moines, Iowa, who's going hungry at the end of the night, than the child in Brazil or the child in, in Southeast Asia? Why is there uh, more I, value to that child? Why? Each is a child. Each is a three-year-old girl in three different countries. Why do you want to look at that and say, I have more value on feeding this one than this one? Are you going to rank your two, your three, three-year-old children in order of which one should get food first based on how close they are to us? But we, no, we do think like that as a species. Stop, stop. Right there, you're going into governmental aspect where you're asking, what is the purpose of government? No, no, no. I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about people on the streets yelling at their government for sending foreign aid when they haven't taken care of all the domestic people who are suffering. But no, that is government. That we is an aspect of government. About suffering people. It shouldn't matter. All I want to know is that the tax dollars I'm giving my government are going to help a suffering person when it's aid money. I don't care who those tax dollars go to to feed a four-year-old child who's malnutritioned and hungry. I don't care if they're in you, Detroit or Prague. 
I just want them you're, to have food. No, see, you're right. They're contradicting yourself, saying this is well, an aspect of government, but I don't care well, about government, okay, but I do okay, care okay, about government. No, on, it is an aspect on. of government. Pump the brakes for a minute, guys. We've left enemy mine. Let's bring it back to the movie, okay? Now, okay, can I say my point before we go back? Oh, make your point, and then we're done on this. Okay, I was just going to say the difference, and it kind of goes into this. The purpose of government is to help the ones they govern. So, in this aspect, he's a soldier, he's fighting for Earth, so Earth should come first. He's going to try to kill the enemy, who he doesn't at this point know very well, doesn't know, you know, good chance, well, uh, these guys are trying to kill our species, we're trying to kill their species, one more of them, eh, why not finish the fight? I understand why it happened. I do too. Okay. It's human nature. Well, I just hate the fact that it's human nature, and I hate that this movie pretty much, in more ways than one, makes a comment on how bad human nature is. So, it sounds to me like the problem is not necessarily with the, um, with the film itself, it's just shining a light, and you're not happy with what it shines. No, the film, the film itself, really the film itself is great. But okay, so it's, let's... It's, a, it's a twofold thing. The message that the story is telling bothers I, I, me, and the message that the fact that we tell the story over and over again does. So yeah, I know you want to move okay. on. I'll shut up. The, yes, there we go. There we go. You made the point. Are there any other about the film rips or picks? Well, that was a big rip about the film, but no, I have no. Other, <laughs> that was not a no rip about rip the film, honestly. To me, it was. Oh, all right. Well. Okay, but that's not the fault of the film. So, can can I say but, like in like ten seconds why I think it's a fault of the film? If you must, because the film is presenting this as an example of human ethical enlightenment. Okay, there we go. All right then. All right, coming from the Trekkie, that makes sense. Why that bugs you? Which is why you're not real wild about Kurtzman Trek. Bingo. Among among a number of other things, such as it's the dialogue is written like it's a sixteen year old's Twitter account. That's part of it. Good job, Kurtzman. You think that's gonna reach the tweens, but it doesn't. Look at you trying to distract me with Star Trek. Well, speaking of that, unless anybody has a final note, we have a viewer we have a listener comment that I'd like to go over addressing an issue in our last episode. Oh, Ooh. Yeah. Okay, it's not wait, really... Wait, wait, wait. We got comments? Well, to be fair, it's from the... Un- it's from our fourth member, Ethan. Oh. <laughs> but it well, is one... I, I, we do enjoy hearing from Ethan, so... Absolutely. He's it like is one concerning... <laughs> he is. So, it's about an egregious oversight on my part, and more so yours, Scott. Uh-oh. So... In the last Starfighter, we made missed the fact that the hitchhiker was Mark Alimo. And if you don't know who that is, Gold Scott, Ducat. you'll know this. Gold Ducat. <laughs> Among many other things. 
He played many like. roles. He played a Romulan commander in uh, season one. He played um, he played a different goal. I want to say Nasek Nasek in the Wounded. He's he was the first like Cardassian goal that you see. But his big role is Gold Dukat. But he played many roles in Star Trek. And Gold Dukat is a uh, is an episode we covered. Oh yes, Gold Dukat's probably in the my- greatest villain in Star Trek history, and that includes Khan. Wow, that's a tall order if you beat Khan. If you go watch all of Deep Space Nine, there is no one more devious than Golducott. And for Scott, um, Khan is one of... For him, Star Trek II is the best Trek film. Khan's a compared to Golducott. Golducott is pure evil. Okay, well... But... At the end of the day, Khan is more against Kirk than anything yes. else. Yes. But, um, but that's I a can't. lot coming from the fact that for Scott, Star Trek II was the I best Star Trek I can't believe film. I missed that the hitchhiker was Mark Alimo. That is a yep. huge Trekkie fail. Ethan, thank you for calling me out. I will do penance and watch like 15 episodes of Deep Space Nine this week. Are you sure that's a penance? You do that anyway. Not a penance. Oh, no, the penance would be you have to watch Star Trek Discovery or something. Finish up season two of Picard? Uh, There you go. That would be penance. Watching DS9, a bunch of episodes of that, or TOS or whatever for you is like standard viewing. That is true. Fall asleep, do it every night. I can usually tell you what time of night it is by what episode of Star Trek or Next Generation is playing on my TV when I wake up. No lie. Talent. What's really bad is my wife is now starting to know what time of night it is based on the episode <laughs> on TV when she wakes up. Wow. Okay, she, that's bad. That's bad. She's really caring that she lets you do that. I have the same set of like seven episodes of Next Gen or TOS combined that I usually set as they go to sleep because I'm such a creature of habit. I will either start with season one, episode four, The Last Outpost. Uh, so. I will know that, like, if I'm in the battle, I'm really close to having to wake up because that's a few episodes in. I think it's episode eight. I will go to season two, which uh, will will start with uh, Time Squared and Contagion. It starts at Contagion and goes to Time Squared. And I'll watch those episodes. And if I know I get to the one where Riker's father is along called the Icarus Factor, then it's it's getting, you know, close to that point. You know, it's like four or five hours in. But um, I know where I'm at. Season three starts with Booby Trap. Season four starts with uh, the loss. Uh, although if it's later on at night, I'll skip the loss and go to Data's Day. Um, season five, I'll usually start with Darmok. Season six, I will start with um, Schisms, and I usually don't start season seven. For TOS, I will either start with um, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Um, it, it was my second favorite episode. It's the one where they fight the Romulans in the submarine battle, and I can't remember the, the neutral oh, zone. The neutral um, zone. Oh, no, it's yeah. not the neutral zone. I, anyway, I'll start with that one, or I'll go to season three and start with um the changeling, or season two and start with the changeling. It's I am such a creature of habit that I rotate through that, and literally, like every once in a while, my wife will wake up and she go, "I saw a new episode tonight when I couldn't sleep." <laughs> 
Okay, look at that. Well, with that in mind, I think we've exhausted enemy mine. Let's rate this thing. Yeah, we were how only many, at 43 minutes. I was trying to pat it out. How many drags we can do 43 minutes? That's fine. But how many drags do we give this thing? Ooh. Or how many lineages, drag lineages do I'll, we give this thing? I'll start. I'm really conflicted on this, but it's a really good film that is well acted, well made, well shot. It is a it is a simple story that knows what it wants to do. Excuse me, knows the story it wants to tell and never leaves from that. And as you said, Rage, in some ways it's a perfect story. The fact that I don't agree with the message that it's telling, and the fact that I don't agree that this is a story about the positivity of the potential of humanity can't change the fact that as a movie, this is an 8 out of 10. It's enjoyable. It's likable. If you don't dig too deep in it, it gives you a feel-good moment. And if you want to just look on the surface, it gives you a way to be positive about humanity. The fact that I can't stop analyzing things and I take it to a level that no one, even the people who wrote the movie, intended it to go and see it as a negative about the base nature of the species can't take away from the fact that it deserves eight Drax lineages out of ten. Okay. Thomas? I like this film. It's very good. It's everything where I think it should be. <clears throat> Has high points. It still holds up surprisingly well for a movie that old. I really don't have any problems with it. I... I get what Scott's saying, but I disagree. That's another argument to have, which we got some of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's a good story, and it's a story that shows us overcoming some of our nature. Um, with that, I, it's a good sci-fi story, so I give it an 8.5. I'm just going to give it a straight 9. It's a simple, good story. The effects are fine. Little data, but I don't let that factor in. The acting's great. Uh, the rips are few. And for something like this, it just doesn't feel good to give it a perfect viewing. That's it. Um, but it was good. So with that in mind, first of all, thank you, Ethan, for the correction, the, the catch. Uh, but also, what do you think about it, Sickies? You can tune in at our Discord. You could jump in at our Discord page to say what you think, especially if you suggested Enemy Mine. Uh, you can also listen in for any of the other previous show, any other shows on uh, Discord, Raving Lunatic Media, such as Zodiac Task Force, which the newest episode just dropped about a week ago. We'll be looking forward to the next episode. A lot of the cast are psyched to be back in the game, and so am I especially as a writer and cast member. We should also keep our eyes out on the Casatorium, but you can always look back on previous episodes. And also remember, Rux EP Paradise just dropped this week, so give that a listen. It got me out of the cult of Dagon. And you can also give us uh, any other comments about this film at www.scotchnot. Let us politics leak out into the show. Ravinglunaticmedia.com. 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 Rage Master. What's left? Stay sick, sickies. And watch out for Carol Baskin.